This is Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art. Because doing good work takes time. I'm Chris Kreitcho. And I'm an astronaut. Wait, what? <laughs> I'm Stephen Caradini, and today we're going to talk about... He wishes you were an astronaut. I wish I was an astronaut. But we all might be astronauts by the end of this episode, or the end of this 50 years. Or we're going to get there. Time, space, the final frontier, it's all happening. <laughs> That's what we're going to talk about today, y'all. We're going to talk about space and stuff. Because <laughs> once you get past a certain point of space, it's all just stuff. <laughs> it's so big. Space it's is so, so, big. so big. It's so wild. So there are certain types of episodes that Chris and I do. We have the deep issue. and We usually try to balance that with a little bit lighter of an issue. And then we have a total geek out episode. These don't come along very often. You can find them in the Doctor Who episode and the Homestar Runner episode, which we get around to saying meaningful things eventually, but mostly we just want to say, wow, isn't this thing awesome? <laughs> and this is going to be one of those episodes, y'all. Space because is the best. Because space is awesome. <laughs> space is the best. So because of the way that space travel works... Just right about now, we're starting to get some information from space probes that were launched from times as distant back as 1979 of stuff that we've just literally never seen or recorded before in the known universe. Voyager 1 has made it all the way past Pluto and is still going and remarkably is still sending back data. This means that it is literally going where no man has gone before. <laughs> Technologically speaking. Now, no man has actually gone there before, so when somebody actually does go out there, then that man will also be going where no man has gone before. <laughs> but no... Unless he rode with aliens after they set up the pyramids. Right, right. And then, you know, all those alien experiences will have total validity and we'll all look back <laughs> on them and be like, they were the true. <laughs> we think that's pretty unlikely for I the don't record. Know, man. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's pretty unlikely. The truth is out there. The truth is out there, and it's those things were unlikely to have been real alien experiences. Just saying. So, but yeah, so we we have a real scientific amount of information that's coming about stuff that we've only vaguely theorized, which we can now make even more weird and crazy theories about. Because when you have <laughs> one set of data points and that's all you get, you get to use them in almost whatever ways you want. Whether or not that's good science is something that you can guess for yourself, our opinion based on previous episodes. But the fact that this data exists is still kind of amazing. What spurred all of this was the excitement around New Horizons, which is a probe that the European Space Agency sent out to Pluto and a bunch of other places. One of the things we'll link in the show notes is a GIF, and in fact, I'll probably just embed it in the show notes. It's a GIF showing the crazy, crazy, wonderful, amazing path that New Horizons took before it actually got to Pluto. And along the way, it said, oh, hey, there's an asteroid. Let's stop and take pictures of that. And here's a comet. Let's stop and take pictures of that. And let's slingshot around Earth three times. Yeah, and by stop and let's take pictures of that, I don't mean that you fly by really, 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 really fast. <laughs> yeah, it's not like it got off at a rest stop and took pictures of a mountain. No, no. But 
one of the things we'll geek out a bit along the way is just how stinking smart some of the scientists involved with this are because yeah. well when you watch that gif it's mind blowing because they slung shot this particular probe around the solar system in some incredibly complicated ways so that by the time it left it was moving something like 10 times faster than a bullet when it goes past pluto and so it's going by this planet at a crazy velocity and all they really had time for was, hey guys, I'm still here, and here's one picture. Now I'm going to go into just take pictures mode for a long time. And it's actually going to take months for it to send back all of the data and pictures it took when it went flying past Pluto, because it's got the equivalent of a tiny, tiny dial-up modem connection to us, and it's just trying to send us all these high-res pictures of Pluto. Hilarious. It's amazing, though, even what we've seen already. And... Well, it's hard to remember in some ways that Pluto, our farthest out planet slash nearest in dwarf planet, had never been photographed in this kind of detail before. There's also a really fascinating comparison that shows you the kinds of pictures we had of it before versus even that first, hey guys, I'm here, here's a picture, now I'm going to go into quiet mode and take lots of pictures for the next couple days. And it was like going from a blurry blob to seeing a moon or a planet and it was amazing and we gushed and so we're going to gush for a while true and we found out that it was actually a moon not a space station <laughs> it's true there were no stormtroopers or darth vader on board alas 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 but that is something that's fascinating to us is the connection between sci-fi and what is now actual outer space. For many, many, many years, going back to the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s of sci-fi, the phrase, that's just sci-fi, or that's just scientifiction, which was one of the original portmanteaus, scientifiction, that's just sci-fi, has been code for, yeah, we can imagine that, but we can't really do that. That's not possible. What's been remarkable is that in addition to the advances of the iPhone, which is very nearly a Star Trek tricorder in its own right, the fact that we can send objects that can communicate back to us into deep space or onto various planets. Or in one of the other fun ones, land them on a comet. Land them on a comet, which was also remarkable. <laughs> the fact that we even want to do this is somewhat attributed to the fact that we can see things in the sky, but in large factor is related to the fact that we've been reading about what it would be like to go to other planets and to find other life forms and to be in other spaces in the universe for a very long time. And it's been part of the collective imaginary, which is now starting to turn into the collective reality. That's cool. It's very cool. And I remember reading someone noting that their work on technology that underpins modern smartphones and really modern cell phones in general was actually inspired by growing up watching Star Trek and seeing the tricorder and seeing people do that. And of course, plenty of people have been inspired to become space scientists of various sorts, whether astrophysicists or literal rocket scientists by things like the space program back in the 60s and 70s, but a lot have also been inspired by things like Star Trek and Star Wars and good books like Isaac Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke and all of the many things since then. 
My wife and I have been reading a series called The Expanse, which is just really great popcorn space opera sci-fi. And it's a ton of fun, but it also makes me want to go live in space. And yeah. good fiction does that. And we've talked a lot about fiction and the arts and how they can shape us before. And one of the fun little ways that the fiction of our last century, really going back to H.G. Wells and Jules Verne even, have shaped us is this desire to build things that can carry us out into space and go places. And now we start seeing companies like SpaceX and Virgin Galactic and all of these that say, okay, let's actually do that. Let's build stuff and go to space. Let's go to Mars. Let's live on the moon. And if you ask that why, so it's awesome. It, it really is. And the answer to why is uh, because, because we can. <laughs> let's do it. And, and while we don't always think that's a good justification for things, our nerdery is winning out this time. We basically think that's a good enough justification this time around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we do have some interesting things to talk about on why you should go there. There are resources on comets. There are things that we can learn from other planets to figure out stuff about our own planet. The ballpoint pen was invented basically by people trying to go to outer space. There's plenty of good reasons to say, yeah, we should do this. But the primary and most interesting one to us is that it's out there and we can go there. And humans How like cool exploring. Is that? <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite quotes that I have found flying about the internet is the rueful, I was born too late to explore the world and too early to explore the galaxy, which seems a little dramatic but actually might be true yeah i have actually thought almost exactly those words <laughs> that is a thing that might happen people might go to the moon and live there or to mars and live there and there are long-term plans to do that even i have talked with my wife in the last two to three months with all the new horizon stuff about how i really wish the technology were there and maybe by the time we're old people it'll be there or maybe our daughters or maybe some of our grandchildren mm -hmm. if we are blessed with grandchildren we'll get to go be spacefarers mm -hmm. i get really yeah. unreasonably excited about that idea <laughs> it's just really cool it's just the sort of thing that you know, populates the collective imaginary. What would happen if we got to go out there and erase some of the past or reinscribe a future that has no past, which is, as I and Chris would be the first to say, entirely untrue. Mm -hmm. But there's this impulse to say, we can go out there into a place that has no past and make a uncharted new thing. And that's a temptation that you can have for any new arena of anything is that there is no history here. So therefore there must be no problems with doing whatever we want here. Let me introduce you to the internet. <laughs> yeah. That's not, not really how it optimal. Works. Yeah. Not really what we would encourage. And so there are real takeaways that we'll jump to at the end of the episode, but in the pre prequel in the prequel, no, we're not talking that, about prequels here, Steven. I don't know. Earth might be the prequel to <laughs> the trilogy that is actually the awesome. rest of space. <laughs> I don't know. I thought this was pretty awesome in the first place, but oh, I I agree. But the prequels weren't awesome. Okay, well, now we're getting into like hardcore sci-fi nerdy. I, I mean, I am a, a little bit of a Star Wars fanboy. 
Yeah, I can't figure out if this is blooper reel material or if this is just part of the episode. <laughs> I think it's totally part of the episode. Yeah, but it's really interesting that what we imagined space to be like, what we wrote about space could potentially be like, now has the possibility of being empirically verifiable. <laughs> what is it and actually really like amazing. to live on Mars? Yes. We might be yes. able to find out in the next 30 years. Yes, yes. I doubt that we will end up with the Jetsons sky towers, however awesome they may be. Probably not. Though I have noted more than once in the last year that I regularly make a habit out of calling my extended family on a video screen that I put in my pocket, which is actually more advanced than the Jetsons. Yeah, but they could fold up a car into a briefcase yeah, and that's pretty rad. They do, they do have that. We need to tell a Elon Musk car. to get on that. Mm. Mm. Come on, Tesla. Yeah. Build floating foldable cars. You are slacking. That's right. That's right. So what's more interesting to a winning slowly perspective on space is that getting to space is actually a pretty complicated <laughs> endeavor, as you might imagine. And there's a lot of things that go into actually getting to space. That's why NASA has been this political football at certain times during the last 40, 50 years in saying that, oh, man, it's expensive and difficult to go to space, so we probably shouldn't do it. And then other people are like, are you morons? We should never <laughs> go to space. Um, and people and, who think that NASA's budget is a serious problem in our budgetary problems haven't either haven't looked at the numbers or don't understand numbers because it's an order of magnitude smaller than so many of our other large outlays. We can afford to go to space. Yeah. That being said, we're, we're big fans of privatizing it too, because that's likely to drive even faster innovation and so on. So we're right. We're big fans of SpaceX and Virgin Galactic and all of these things. We're big, big fans. And we want them to coexist because the, public-private, government, non-governmental, corporate sort of connections are what make for really good things, in my opinion. <laughs> Sometimes, think, except when they make for really bad things. But they Well, I, I'm talking about space here, y'all. <laughs> talking about space. I, yeah. There, yes, the, the military-industrial complex is not necessarily awesome. But in terms <laughs> of going to space, I think that we're going to benefit from having a robust number of players in the ecosystem. I totally agree. Having SpaceX shoot people up to the moon could be a strict profit-making venture, but that puts people on the moon who then might want to do science up there. Mm -hmm. And then the government wants to do science explicitly, and so non-governmental organizations are going to want to have a very different set of concerns that don't align with either of those two. And so I think that having a robust system and more players is actually going to be good. I agree. We know that there will be some, yeah, we know that there will be some, let's call it sketchy <laughs> things that go on. That's just the nature of people collaborating, large organizations collaborating. But on balance, I think it's going to be better than if we tried to lock governments out or lock private mm -hmm. corporations out or even lock NGOs out. Yeah. One of the things we think will be good with that is continuing to foster good competition. It's possible to end up with unhealthy competition, of course, and it's equally possible to end up with near monopolies. And uh, SpaceX and Virgin Galactic have both been pretty grumpy at the fact that, well, that military-industrial complex has had 
functional monopolies on a lot of these things and has actually sued over it and they're getting some traction and being able to get contracts and actually be responsible for carrying things to space and as people who are motivated to innovate and to save costs because they're coming at it from the private sector angle more and are outsiders to that crazy industrial military complex and yeah i know i just said that backwards but it's okay we're geeking out today geek out Uh, because they're outsiders they're incentivized to do crazy things like hey can we land rockets after they take off which we talked about back in our elon musk is actually iron man episode back in the previous season those kinds of innovations are going to be really great they're going to save money over the long term and they're going to be better for resource management and and that's the sort of thing where a private corporation if they create that technology then government corporations can use that mm-hmm. technology and save money for taxpayers and that things won't explode every time <laughs> that they try to re-enter the atmosphere that's pretty that's great. a good thing virtuous cycles now, are virtuous Virtuous cycles are virtuous. And on the opposite end of things, if government finds a particular set of rules or a particular set of expectations or a particular set of technical operations just based on their vast amount of previous experience, and they start to talk with other private organizations and say, hey, I know you're trying to reinvent the wheel over there, but we also have figured out a thing or two about space. (laughs) You know, I would love to see some of that happen, and I'm Mm -hmm. almost certain that that sort of work is already going on, even if it's just informal in that old NASA people who aren't working for NASA are now working for Mm -hmm. these private corporations. And I think that's important and valuable as well. So I don't think it's just a one-way street where private corporations are rising the cavalry to the (laughs) government's aid. That that, I don't think that's the way it works. I think there's a flow back and forth. It's worth remembering as much as NASA has sometimes gotten criticized for things, and occasionally rightly so, NASA has done an amazing amount with the resources it's been given over the last many decades. I mean, we went to the moon. We we literally went to and rode around in a dune buggy on and played golf on the moon. I think that golf ball might still be flying. <laughs> That's just ridiculously great. And they did just extraordinary things with really great handicaps and limitations on them. And even the much maligned shuttle program accomplished a lot and was underfunded. Mm. And so when you look and see how even things that are really hamstrung by the constraints of public interest or public funding levels or any of that can really excel when given teams that really care about it. Yeah, we do want to see the government continue to do well in these areas, if at all possible. Yeah. I think there's also something to be said for the fact that, yes, our space travel was initially motivated by very earthbound (laughs) geopolitical conflicts. I'm shocked. That is a true statement. But I think that as we go forward and as we start to develop these public, private, non-governmental, interrelated players, I think that we'll be able to see some of that continue throughout the world. And so right now... We use Russian rockets primarily to get to space, we being the United States. And you can totally imagine a geopolitical situation where this becomes a large problem (laughs) and that we can't actually go to space because we only use Russian rockets. Russia doesn't want to give us rockets, so they hold us hostage over rockets. This is a thing that could happen. However, in a purely space-minded situation, we're hoping that as 
the virtuous circle goes around and Russia wants to go to space as well and we want to go to space and everybody wants to work <laughs> on the ISS and everybody wants to go see what else is out there that even though you're never going to be able to completely erase the geopolitical boundaries that are in our own minds as much as they are in specific spaces on earth, culture and society and ethnicity and all of these, as much as you're never going to be able to erase those entirely, I think the great hope of space is that you would be able to erase some of them to some degree. I mean, the utopian mindset is that space is what will erase them all entirely and we will all be a human brotherhood. <laughs> and we don't think that's going to play out in a 100% full manner. But I think that it is not unreasonable to hope that as we have a activity that will require large amounts of organization on many different scales from the micro to the macro to the whatever is beyond macro <laughs> and goes out into the interstellar space level, I, I'm hoping that we'll be able to have inner country and inter economic organization, if not collaboration. And while I think that's a nice thought, I think I'm probably less hopeful that it will actually come to pass than, than Stephen is. I think there are here, as in many places, opportunities that are good. Uh, there have been many times for new fresh starts in human history, and to the best of our knowledge, unlike previous ones, there won't be natives to harass and I do terrible things to. I don't know, man. That's like half of the sci-fi <laughs> books, is that we show up and colonize because we're colonizers. Yeah. But, uh, That's basically the moral of Ender's Game. <laughs> yeah, we, we find aliens and kill them. And to be sure, if there are aliens out there, I'm sure there will be a lot of humans in favor of just killing them. And that's unfortunate, of course. But I refuse to indulge in any religious or theological speculation about aliens until we actually meet them. Heading that one off at the pass. Oh, man, I didn't even get to ask you if <laughs> aliens were eligible for salvation or not. That was like the, the religious quadrant here. That was how we were going to put religion into this, man. I think it's an interesting question, but I don't. I, I refuse to speculate until we actually no, meet aliens. An, you don't think it's an interesting question? You don't want to talk oh, about it. Oh, I think it. it's an interesting question about which I have no grounds for speculation. Oh That's not true. That's We just said that grounds for speculation actually turns into reality. We just said that. There are some great novels which tackle that question. and There are. Some great novels which tackle questions about these kinds of political issues too i mentioned reading the expanse with my wife recently and one of the things mm -hmm. i appreciated about it is it says basically humans are going to keep being humans the lines we draw between each other may shift but probably we're just going to keep doing that and i appreciated that it wasn't a rosy-eyed utopian view of the future it says oh yeah you think that if we go out into space things are going to be totally different nope We'll just draw lines between Mars and Earth and between people who live out in the asteroid belt and Mars. And I mean, as much as we can hope that we might do things better this go around than previous goes around, I'm just not especially persuaded that'll happen. That being said, I still think we should go out there and do it. And again, to the best of our knowledge, we at least won't be colonizing and stomping on other people this time around. That's a that's a good thing for colonization efforts that we haven't really done before. I'm in favor. Yeah, yeah. Although there is also the Great Leap Forward theory that means we're going to get stomped as soon as we try to get out there. Yeah, but... that whole Fermi Paradox thing. Yeah, yeah. 
We'll link to that, but we don't want to talk about that. <laughs> there are lots Nobody of Nobody wants to talk about that. <laughs> there are lots of metaphysical assumptions and biological determinism <laughs> assumptions and all sorts of things bound up in that. Maybe we'll leave that for a religion episode in the future. <laughs> yeah, that's a super episode right there. Yeah. Uh suffice it to say, we think space is great. We think you should go there and we should go there. And where's my fusion reactor and my Alcubierre drive? Gosh, come on. They're theoretically existent, and we just said <laughs> things that can theoretically exist in our conscious imaginary, we might get there. It's true. We could get there. And I really do have this quiet but deep and abiding hope that by the time I'm 80, if God is gracious and gives me 80 years, I'll be able to go to Mars, and I'll pack my bags and say, see a family, and I'll fly to Mars, and my wife will come with me, and we'll be pioneers, and it'll be awesome or something. Yep. I would totally go for that. I'd be down. Before you go, on the topic of science fiction-y things, we thought you should know that there are now actually giant fighting robots. Somebody Literally. decided that, you know what? These Mech Warrior games that I played when I was a kid, they were pretty great. You know what would be even greater? If we could build real robots and climb in them and it'd fight. Pacific Rim style. Bah. <laughs> We'll, 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 we'll link to it, but we were just... <laughs> this has been the soundtrack of Pacific Rim. <laughs> or, or Inception. We're not sure which. Hey, but Inception was classic. <laughs> uh, the, the link we'll put in the show notes, we'll talk about how they've actually been building these things and are setting up a big mecha fight competition and all of this it's fascinating i would not actually jump in one of those and do that but nonetheless science fictiony things that people do because they're inspired by fiction this goes in that category Mm-hmm. so the song at the beginning was don't go quietly by light music please don't use their music without permission we asked and they said yes Thanks to Jeremy W. Sherman for sponsoring the show this month, and you can see the full list of sponsors in the show notes. If you'd like to support Winning Slowly, you can make a monthly pledge at patreon.com slash winning slowly, or give directly at cash.me slash dollar sign winning slowly. Dollar signs! You can follow us on Twitter or app.net at winning slowly, or subscribe to our Facebook page. Keep an eye out. We're posting things related to the stuff we talk about on a semi-regular basis. As always, thanks for listening. Now go explore space. Space! It really is. What spurred this was, well, all the exciting, fun times of video and... No. No. <laughs> I thought you said this was going to be an easier episode. I thought it was. My brain apparently is just in failure mode right now. Very nearly a a Star Trek hand hollow... Gosh, what's the name of that thing? A communicator thing? I don't know. I'm not a Trekkie, man. I'm a Star Wars guy. You know that that stuff the, with the The thing. beepy thing. <laughs> the, the hollow... The hollow deck? Tricorder. Oh, the tricorder. tricorder. Yes. I don't the know why tricorder. I said hollow deck. Yeah, that, that <laughs> that's really different. Hard to hold in your hand. <laughs> Having SpaceX shoot people up to the moon. <laughs> I'm glad you finished with for... up the moon. <laughs> <laughs> Having SpaceX shoot people. Wait, what is he going to say? Oh, to the moon. Okay. Uh, yeah, to the moon.